Today's uh, scripture comes from John 11, 1 to, I think, 53, but I won't read the whole thing up here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had, not, had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had also come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I stand this, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome again to Resurrection City Church. Special welcome to those of you who are watching online with us. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, and special welcome to anybody who's new or just visiting with us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Um, it's really fun to be able to worship uh, with all of you, even with masks, even with uh, being socially distanced and being online. Okay, so my name is Julie. I think I forgot to say that. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I have a question for all of you. How many of you have read or watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, or The Chronicles of Narnia? Raise your hand. You can raise your hand online, too. You know, you can do the little, like, hand-raising emoji. Um, and I do actually look back at the comments, so I love to see, like, who's watching online and, and what they're saying. So please chime in there. Um, but I have a confession. I actually didn't read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe until college. I was taking a children's lit class. I was a literature major, and we read this book. And in our small discussion group, we only had about 20 people in this group, um, I, it was so fascinating to talk about it with 20 different people who are all coming from different backgrounds, different experiences, and most of them had no idea that there was like a, a deeper meaning to the book, that there was like a spiritual significance kind of woven into the story. So if you haven't read or watched it, uh, it's kind of a story, it's a kid's story, right? And there's this lion who's kind of the Christ figure, and it sort of tells the story of Christ's life. Uh, through this book. And the word for that is allegory. So it's, it's a literature term, but it's basically just this idea that whatever story is being told, there's a deeper spiritual significance to it in this case. And the passage we're looking at today, uh, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, it actually also has kind of that, that deeper spiritual meaning in it when you read it. There's so much in this passage, honestly, like you could preach like 15 different sermons on this because there's so many great things in it. Um, but today I really want to focus on that deeper spiritual meaning that you can feel in this story and you can see. So one of the, just want to make a clarification, one of the key differences between the story of Lazarus and the story of uh, Narnia is that the story of Lazarus is actually real. <laughs> it's not fiction. It really did happen. Um, and I know that for some people that's kind of confusing or like difficult to understand because miracles are um, not something we experience every day. It's not something we think about all the time. And so if you didn't get a chance to hear uh, Joel's sermon way back in the beginning of the series of John uh, about miracles and healings and kind of how we make sense of that, what we do with it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, I think it was John 4. Uh, but I think you can go back on, the, on our YouTube page and listen to it because I'm not going to have a chance. Oh, he's saying it's John 2. Um, uh, I'm not going to have a chance to really get into miracles and, like, all of the stuff that goes on behind that. So if you missed that sermon and you're, you're like, wow, miracles just seem totally crazy to me, like, this just doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Because today the big thing that we're going to focus on um, is, like I said, the spiritual significance that's going on in this story. So we've been in the book of John, um, and this is, as we've walked through it, you've kind of seen the account of Jesus' life. We've seen um, how he's 
represented himself, how the Pharisees and other people have responded to him. And today is where things are really going to kind of like get good. Not that they haven't been good already with all of the miracles and healings, right? There's been enough like exciting stuff happening, but this is really where um, so much is going to happen. The story is really going to take a big turn here. So we are going to uh, kind of dive into that. And the big thing that I want to kind of focus on, or the big verse that's kind of the key verse, is John eleven twenty five through 26. It's when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This is a crazy claim, right? This is a really big deal that Jesus says this. Not only for Lazarus and what that means for him, but also for all of us, right? There is a spiritual significance that lasts till now and, and has a, a meaning for us here today. So the big idea that we're going to look at is that the story of Lazarus physically being raised from the dead foreshadows what Jesus will bring, how he will bring about resurrection and life into our world. And it acts as sort of the spiritual picture of what's going to happen for us. So we're going to look at three similarities between Lazarus' story and our spiritual reality. One, that Jesus was willing to die for Lazarus. Two, that Lazarus was really and truly dead. And three, that Lazarus gets new life in the present and in the future. So let's start with the first one. Jesus is willing to die for Lazarus. Uh, like I said, this is really kind of the turning point of the book of John. This is where things really take a big turn. Because up until this point, we've seen that the Pharisees and the other people have kind of been getting more and more frustrated with Jesus, and they're more and more confused. Some people are turning and believing in Jesus and kind of um, following him, and others are getting more and more hardened to him. They're more and more skeptical, more and more frustrated by the claims that he's making. And so uh, if you remember from last week in John 10, uh, the Jewish leaders get pretty mad at him, and they actually want to stone Jesus. So I'm going to just give you a quick, like, previously, right, previously in John. Uh, in John 10, verses 31, uh, it says, Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So that's what we talked about last week, and, and we saw that Jesus kind of found a way to get out of it. It's like always very vague as to how Jesus kind of gets away from the people who are angry at him. And I'm always like, does he just kind of like disappear? Like, how does he do that? Is he just really sneaky? I'm not sure. Um, but he manages to get away from it and talk his way out of it. But we're going to see after this story of Lazarus, uh, the, it really changes for those leaders. They actually, the next section in your Bible, if you look at the little heading, will say, the plot to kill Jesus. So they really like made a decision, we're done with this guy, we've got to do something about it, and I think we need to take him out. And Jesus and his disciples knew that that would happen, right? If you heard Joel reading the passage, you heard that when Jesus says he wants to go see Lazarus, one of his disciples says, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And you have to think, Jesus' disciples must have been like, are you crazy? Like, what are you thinking? There's so much more we could do, right? We could go around. You could heal more people. You could perform more miracles. Like, you could reach more people. There's so much more that, like, you could do if you wanted to do it. But Jesus loves Lazarus so much that he wants to go to him. He's literally willing to die for him. 
And as I think about this, I always kind of find myself thinking about that phrase, the like, I'd take a bullet for you. It always sounds so dramatic, uh, but it's like a thing that people say when they're thinking about like, oh, I love this person so much, I'd be willing to, to die for them, to take a bullet for them. And I always just think, you know, I'm not really sure that we would. I think ultimately we're pretty like self-interested and, and we think a lot about our own self-preservation. And so as much as I think it's a good intention that we say, oh, yeah, I'd take a bullet for this person, I really am not sure how many of us really would. And if <laughs> it always makes me think there's this 21 Pilot song that was on the radio all the time for a while a few years back. So I don't know if you guys have heard it, but one of the lyrics, he's, he's kind of like, pondering this idea of taking a bullet for someone. And he says, metaphorically, I'm your man, but literally, I don't know what I'd do. And I think that really fits for us, right? We like to say these things, but I'm not sure how many of us would actually do it. But Jesus does. It's literal for him. He actually is willing to go and trade his life for Lazarus. Jesus was also willing to give his life for all of us, though. So here's the chain of events, if you think about it. It's kind of like crazy when you really think about it. Jesus brings Lazarus back to life, which leads to Jesus dying, which leads to anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. So he's willing, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So anyone who believes in Jesus now uh, has new life, right? They can be united to Jesus's death and his resurrection. So while Jesus was willing to die for Lazarus, the spiritual reality is that he's willing to die for all of us. He uh, is not just thinking about Lazarus, probably, but he knows that ultimately this is going to be uh, for everybody. He is putting his life on the line for Lazarus, his friend whom he loves, and also for all of us. I love this story because it gives you a more intimate picture of how Jesus feels, right? You get to see, uh, you see Jesus weep, right? It's just crazy. You see him being willing to die for his friend and how distraught he feels about what's happening. And I think sometimes we can get into this mindset of like, oh, abstractly, Jesus was willing to die for me. Okay, but when you watch this picture, you watch this story play out, you see how Jesus loved his friend so much he was willing to die for him. And that's true for us too. So if you ever wonder or wrestle with like, does Jesus really care about me? Does he really care about what's going on in my life? Uh, you don't have to look any further, right? You see it clearly uh, in what Jesus is willing to do. He's willing to die for Lazarus and for all of us. Okay, the second kind of spiritual reality that we can gather from this story uh, has to do with the fact that Lazarus is really dead. So when you read this story, the thing that always kind of like makes me pause or kind of throws me off a little bit is that Jesus waits, right? He hears that Lazarus is sick, and then he waits. And you're, it makes me wonder, well, what's he doing, right? Why did he wait? Why did he not go immediately to Lazarus to heal him? And a lot of other people are asking this question, too. In verse 4, uh, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So it's this weird thing, right? It's like because he loved them is kind of how the, the wording is laid out, right? 
That's why he decided to wait. And that just seems counterintuitive to us. And uh, there's a few ideas here as to why Jesus waited. Uh, one of them is that they really wanted, or Jesus really wanted to have proof that Lazarus was dead. I guess in that time period, there was sort of a belief by some people that spirits uh, hung around the body for about three days after the death. So there was this idea that, like, if someone was dead for a couple of days, but then they were, you know, resuscitated or something like that, then it was really just that they weren't really dead. Their spirit was still kind of hanging around them, and it just kind of went back into their body, and, and they were alive again. But Jesus waits so that that three days passes, and there is no question about whether or not Lazarus is dead. No one there would have been wondering, is he, you know, is this really a miracle or was he just kind of, you know, was his spirit just kind of put back in his body? Not even really sure how that would work, but uh, that's what they, some people believed. And you see this, right? Like when Jesus gets there and he's like, open the tomb and the sisters are like, no, 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 don't do that. It's going to smell horrible. Like he is definitely dead. He's been dead and it's going to smell when you open that. So please do not do it, right? They're very concerned about it. They have no question that Lazarus is really actually and truly dead. And I want to take a second to kind of make like a, a quick bunny trail aside from this because I think there's a, an application here that is so relevant to us that I just want to add it in. So it's, you get a little bonus application today, okay? And that application point is just that God's timing is better than ours, right? Jesus waits and later on it says he's doing this for the benefit of others, right? Mary, Martha, the disciples around him, their faith is strengthened by this. They learn from this. They see more of who Jesus is and what that means. And even other people, in verse 45, it says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So there was this greater benefit that Jesus saw in waiting and then coming. His timing was better than what our timing would have been, what we would have picked. And I think this is just so relevant to us, like Joel and Zach were talking about with control and COVID and how everything is just not at all what we expected it to be. Uh, I laughed. I saw a meme that was like, you know, everybody who answered the question in 2015 in a job interview, where do you see yourself in five years? All of you got the answer wrong, right? Like there's nobody who saw this coming in five years. And I think that we've all experienced this, right? We've had plans thrown off. My heart goes out to the teachers at Rest City and the parents and the people who are getting married and having new babies, right? Like there's so many things that are just so different from what we expected they would look like right now. But we have to remember and be comforted by the fact that God's timing is better than ours. A verse that I've kind of committed to memory over the past because I really struggle with this concept, right? I like to think like, I'm pretty good at planning. And I think like, I could probably do a pretty good job. My plans are, like, why aren't we following my plans, God? I, I think they're pretty good. So I've committed this verse to memory because it's a really good reality check for me. It's from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It just says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right? It's just a good reminder God is in control, and he, his timing is better than ours. We can trust him, and we need to be reminded of that, I think, especially right now. Okay, funny trail over. Let me get to your bonus application. Uh, let's go back to the fact that Lazarus is really dead, right? That's kind of the point we were going towards. So how does Lazarus, like, really, truly being dead 
connect to us? What's that spiritual connection there? What's the spiritual reality? And the truth is that although we aren't physically dead, without Christ, we are spiritually dead. This has to do with how we're made, right? We're made to worship God. We're made to, uh, to love him and to put all of our desires and our affections towards him and kind of orient our life around that. But we all the time turn away from him and choose other things to worship, whether it's our relationships, success in our work, um, and really anything, you name it. We can focus our love and our worship on these things instead of on God. And when we do that, ultimately we feel like, you know, in the short term, we don't feel that different, right? You can kind of be like, you can be really focused and turn all of your worship towards succeeding at work or um, I'm blanking out other examples, but anything that you might like really be focused on. And at first you're not going to feel any different. And over time, it sort of creates this like new normal feeling. So if you've heard that term, it's kind of just like when you get used to doing something, it sort of becomes normal to you, right? I had this moment um, in the last, it's been a while now, but where when I watch TV or watch a movie and someone walks into a crowded space, I'm like, don't do that, right? I have this like panic moment and then I'm like, oh yeah, this is TV, <laughs> it's not real. There's not a pandemic when they shot this, they're gonna be fine. Um, but it's become so normal to me to see people wearing masks, to not touch your face, to not go into crowded places. Um, it's become a new norm. And sometimes new norms are good, right? Right now, they're helping us, you know, help uh, keep our neighbors safe, keep ourselves safe. It's a good thing. But sometimes new norms can be unhealthy too. In the same way that we get used to healthy things, we easily get used to unhealthy things. So while we focus on, on getting money or fulfilling in ourselves our dreams, finding relationships, focusing so much on our family, it can ultimately lead to us not even realizing that we've turned away from worshiping God. You might start to feel empty at times or even numb. Uh, and I think that it's one of those things that we really have to stop and ask ourselves, right? You have to like break ourselves out of that new normal to see that we are actually becoming spiritually dead by turning and worshiping things other than God. Leaves us with an empty feeling, leaves us feeling unfulfilled, questioning like, what am I doing, right? How am I spending my time? Is this really good for me? Am I really feeling um, like that this is bringing life for me? And so what we need to do is we need to choose to turn and to worship God. We need to actively think about that, shake ourselves out of this um, new normal of not doing that and turn to worship God. And I think God does that in us. The Holy Spirit works in our life uh, to do that. But just like Lazarus, without God, without the Holy Spirit working in us, we are spiritually dead. Without Christ, without believing in him and turning and trusting him uh, as our Lord and our Savior, we are going to be in that new normal of spiritual deadness, of feeling numb, of feeling empty. So as much as Lazarus was physically dead, we are spiritually dead without Christ, truly. Without hope uh, of waking ourselves up on our own, we're stuck in a new normal that we've created for ourselves. But thankfully, that's not where our similarities with Lazarus end. We've also got a, the, the third thing is that Lazarus gets new life in the present and in the future. So we're gonna, I'm going to kind of look at both of those things in that passage of John that we read. So he gets new life now in the present in verse 11 when Jesus says, After he heard this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. So you notice that when you read this, that wake him up word is not the same as resurrection. 
it's actually like awakened or, um, oh geez, resuscitated. I hate that word. It's so hard to like get the syllables in the right place. Uh, So it's being brought back to life in the here and now in this world. So Jesus says, I'm going to go and wake him up. I'm going to have, I'm going to wake him up from the sleep that he's in. But we see further on in the passage that he also gets eternal life in the future. Jesus, when he's talking to Martha, uh, Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So he's saying Lazarus is actually going to receive both, right? He's going to get awakened um, in this present time, but he's also going to have resurrection in the future. And this is true for us as well, right? We have that spiritual reality. We receive a spiritual awakening when the Holy Spirit breaks in and changes our heart and we believe in Jesus. And when we quit worshiping other things and turn to worship him instead, but we also experience... so. Uh, a chance to have eternal life and have that ultimate resurrection at the end of time. We have hope, we have certainty, and a promise that we will have life after death and that we will live even though we physically die. These two things that we receive in Jesus, uh, life in the present and in the future, are truly remarkable things when you stop to think about it. But for those of us who maybe have believed in Jesus for a while, maybe you grew up going to church and kind of have heard this message all along, Uh, it can kind of become commonplace at times, right? You can kind of forget that, like, this is a miracle, a real miracle. So I just want to say two things as a quick reminder. One, not everybody has this certainty, right? I recently was talking with a friend, and I just asked her, you know, we were kind of talking about um, this passage that I was preaching, and I asked her, like, you know, what do you think happens when you die? And she doesn't, you know, she's not a Christian. She didn't have that hope, that uh, certain promise that we were going to have life after death. And it was a good reminder, like, yeah, this isn't commonplace. This is something incredibly special and incredibly uh, miraculous that we have in Christ. So I encourage you this week, you know, maybe if you're talking to someone, a friend or a coworker, maybe just ask them, you know, find a way to, to ask them, not in a way of like, I'm going to share the gospel with you, so like, i got to ask you this question so I can tell you the truth. But just honestly ask them. Obviously, if it comes up and they want to keep talking about it, then like, great, share the gospel with them. That's awesome. But I, I encourage you just to get to know those people and ask them what they think about this, right? If you talk to them about everything else, it's not that weird to ask them about something as big as what they think is going to happen after you die. And the second reminder that I think helps remind us that this is not commonplace is that this is not cheap, right? Remember, Jesus had to trade his life, literally, so that we could have this, so that we could have this second chance uh, at life in the present and in the future, so that we could have eternal life in him. And yet, I think we still take it for granted, right? And I'm, I'm talking about myself, too. I find myself falling into this trap all the time. And we can either, re- we view resurrection as just like a, a silver lining, right? Like, oh yeah, I can, I can live my life now, it doesn't really matter what I do, you know, I'm just going to live my life for me, and at the end, I know I can, like, go to heaven when I die, and I have this, like, silver lining at the end. Or you can get into a habit of feeling like, man, this life sucks, I hate being here right now, and, you know, I'm just going to plod through, keep my head down, and, like, eventually when I die, I'll get to have, like, eternal life, and then it'll be good, then I'll be um, really able to worship Jesus. But until 
and I just got to keep my head down and kind of move forward. But both of those views, right, we forget that we have a second chance at life right now, just the way that Lazarus did, right? We are spiritually awakened, and we have something uh, that we can live life to the full now. That's what Jesus has for us. So it, this really, the second lease on life should really change everything about us. And I want you to consider a different story here, okay? So when I was in high school, um, back before when I could actually give blood without passing out every time, I'm like done now. They've told me like, you should probably stop coming <laughs> if you're going to pass out every time. Um, so back when I could actually do that, I gave blood and I had one of those stickers on after. Do they still give you those? Those like, be nice to me, I gave blood today. I always thought those were, I always liked those. So I had one of those stickers on and I was somewhere and I don't remember where, and this guy came up to me, and he was like, hey, I saw your sticker, and I just wanted to say thank you for giving blood today. And I was, like, kind of surprised, right? Like, it's a little bit strange for someone to come walk up to you and do that. And I said, yeah, you know, no problem. And he said, I, when I was your age, I was in a, a really bad accident, and a blood transfusion actually saved my life. And so now whenever I see people who have given blood, I, I go out of my way to go and thank them because... Without people doing this, I might not have lived. I might not have survived that accident. And as I think about this guy, I think, if he's willing to walk up to a, a, a total stranger and thank them for giving blood, you know, I'm guessing there are other things in his life that have changed because of that experience, right? I'm going to guess that he gives blood himself, right? I'm going to guess he does that if he can. I'm going to guess that he, you know, maybe donates or volunteers with the Red Cross, I was going to put a picture of um, someone giving blood <laughs> up there, and then I realized some people might really not enjoy that uh, if you're, like, a little squeamish about it. I don't want to, like, have a picture of needles and, and blood coming out of it. Um, but, right, like, this guy probably donates uh, or volunteers at the Red Cross. He probably encourages his friends to give blood, right? Like, this is something, it seems like it has deeply changed him, this experience of almost dying, being saved by this blood transfusion, it seems like it has been, it meant so much to him that he's willing to walk up to a total stranger and say thank you, right? There's a big shift. It changes so much about your life when you have an experience like that where you feel like you're almost dead or you're dying and you're saved by something. And this should be us, right? <laughs> we were dead, spiritually dead, and now we're made alive in Christ. We have been saved through Christ's death. And this should change everything about us. So that's my first application point, is just that our spiritual resurrection should change us. It should change how we think about the world. It should change how we spend our time, right? It should change what we think about, what we spend a lot of our time thinking about. It should change how we interact with other people, how we talk to people around us, right? It should change how we spend our money. It should change every aspect. Faith is not just one compartment in our life, right? It's not just one small thing. It is everything. It is the resurrection that we've experienced, the spiritual resurrection, is a second lease on life, right? Just like this guy who had the blood transfusion, it is something that has saved us and should change how we, uh, how we view every aspect of our life. And some of you might be thinking, like, yeah, I want that, right? I want to have that change. I want to be, um, you know, I want to follow Jesus with every aspect of my life. And I want to have that, like, you know, that zeal that that guy who did had that he was willing to go walk up to a stranger, right? But sometimes we feel like, how do I get that, 
right? Life is busy, and I feel tired, and I've been, you know, trying, but I don't really know how to do this. And obviously, the, like, ultimate answer is that it's God working in us, right? It's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who has that effect, who's willing to change our hearts. Um, But I think one of the ways that we can practically try to move towards that, to move towards having our spiritual resurrection change every aspect of our lives, is through reflection, And I know that that's probably not, like, the most popular answer because we're not a society that really likes to sit and reflect on things, right? We like to go. We like to do. We like to be busy. Um, Or even if we don't like that, we feel stuck in it, right? Life just feels like it's one thing after the other, and how do I stop this super fast-moving train? And I think that uh, the, the key to all of this is reflection, So my guess is that this blood drive guy, he probably uh, had some things in his life that were reminders, right, of what happened to him. So maybe he has scars from the accident. Maybe he has pictures from when he was sick. Um, Maybe people in his life talk about it, right? Like his family probably is like, yeah, remember when this happened and how you were saved? And he probably reflects on those things, and it moves him and changes him to, and reminds him to act in this different way. And in the same way, we need to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and how it changes us, right? We need to spend time in his presence. We need to read scripture, right? And, and if you don't just have to read John 11. Uh, there's tons of examples of this in scripture, and Jesus says, you know, all of this points to me, right? So any, any scripture you read should be reading it through the lens of pointing towards Jesus and what he does, right? We can sing worship music. I know that we're not doing that currently here, but um, join us tonight or do it at home on your own. Do it in the car. Uh, find ways to get in God's presence and talk about what God's done in your life, Right? Talk about it with the people in your life, with your community group, with your friends, with your family. Remember, take time to reflect and tell those stories, right? I think back to my life, and if I, if the Holy Spirit had not broken and changed my heart to follow Christ, I would be in a very different place than I am now, right? Like, there would be so many things that would be different. And when I reflect on that and I think about that and I talk about that with people, it reminds me of how amazing the sacrifice that Christ made is and how amazing it is that we have the spiritual resurrection uh, in our lives now. So I know this is hard, right? And I know it's especially hard when things have been in flux because of COVID. Your rhythms are probably thrown off, right? Maybe your kids are home with you. Maybe you're working from home and that just kind of throws off your whole balance of like, when you get time, and how that works. But I encourage you to find a way. Find a way to get in God's presence. You know, whether that's, like, trading time with your spouse so that one person has the kids and the other person can actually, like, find a quiet place to, uh, to be in the presence of Jesus. Or maybe if you don't have kids or whatever it is that's going on, maybe you need to get up earlier. I know some, I think, Brett, you were the one who said, put Bibles in places that you will see them because you'll be more likely to want to read it or be reminded if you see it on your coffee table or somewhere else. It's like simple, simple things like that that can actually help us remi- remind ourselves to get in the presence of God, to spend time with him. Because he was willing to make this huge sacrifice for us. And I think that getting in his presence, reflecting on what he did It's going to help us remember the spiritual resurrection that we have, and it'll help change us uh, in all aspects of our life. So what we're going to do next is we're going to have the worship team come back up, and they're going to sing a a song. 
and it's going to be a time of reflection. So we're going to ask that you, um, you know, you can use this time to pray, you can use this time to journal, you can just, you know, meditate, whatever it is you want to do. Um, but the thing that I want you to reflect on, either you can take time to actually reflect, right, reflect on what God has done, reflect on um, what he's done in your life so far, uh, or the other question that I would encourage you to reflect on is just, in what ways do you need to let the spiritual resurrection you've been given in Christ change you, right? What, is there an aspect of your life that you kind of section off, right? Like, yes, this is all under, you know, my new life in Christ, but like, this part of my life I still want control over, right? So, so think about what area of life do you need to let the Holy Spirit come in and really um, change the way you live in a way that is uh, reflecting the spiritual resurrection that we have in Christ. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then the worship team will come up and sing for us. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent our one, your one and only son to die and rise again for us. We confess that we often take this for granted, that it becomes commonplace. We lose sight of the fact that resurrection is a miracle. Your resurrection is a miracle. We ask that you would draw us into your presence, change our hearts, help us to live like people who know that we are, were truly spiritually dead until you came along and gave us new life. New life that is true now in the present, that we can take advantage of uh, here and now, and also hope for a full resurrection and new life in the future. In your name we pray. Amen.